Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Corrin, and our host today for this MedEvidence presentation called Two Docs Talk About How to Look Up Things. And I'm very pleased to have Dr. John Rhoda, an ophthalmologist and a longstanding colleague of mine who I've worked with on many clinical trials in the past, to talk about this issue. And in our first session, we talked about the fact that there's so many biases, there's so much information that people can become overloaded. And we have this tendency in our society, given all this information, to do to look up things and to find things and to read things that confirm what we already believe rather than exactly. becoming objective about uh, evaluating an issue. And um, what I'm going to do in this session is bring up one of the, the most controversial things that we've talked about as clinicians and as people who live in our community and as Americans, is the concept of whether or not to wear a mask and in what circumstances to wear a mask uh, through the COVID-19 crisis. And I know John's very passionate about this, and he and I have actually done a fair amount of our own research and have some views that we'd like to share with people. So, John, just, you know, once you get everybody up to speed in terms of the controversy and where it's been irrational and rational ways of understanding things. Well, I'll, t I'll try to be inflammatory right away. We'll talk about <laughs> Dr. Fossey. And I... I follow this stuff and, and, and try to research it. And in the early days when COVID was just coming out, uh, there would be people who discredit Dr. Fauci saying, well, look at this video. And he's saying that uh, we, don't need a, we don't need a mask. At that time, that was about January, maybe 2020, when the vaccine was just coming out and there were, well, it wasn't out. It was not out. And he was talking uh, to the press that we didn't need a mask because all the numbers and information coming from China was that it was not a big problem. That's the only information he had, and that's what he was relaying to the public. Well, just a month or two or three later, it was a huge problem, and he still did not recommend that the public wear a mask. Well, the problem was they realized how bad COVID was. There were not enough masks for the ICU workers and the emergency room workers, let alone the rest of the hospital, to wear 24-7. And so he wanted this mask saved for those at highest risk. And later when the mass production came up, then he started reporting that the public would be safest if they wore a mask. So if you play those three videos without knowing the background, you think, well, this guy changes his mind all the time. This is awful. Not only that he had a reason for it, but that's, that's a good scientist. When he gets new information, they change their mind. Mm -hmm. you, you get new information, good sure. research, level one research, you change your opinion. That's a normal scientist. Yeah, and, and great point. And uh, I, Tony Fauci has certainly been villainized. I've met him on a couple occasions. He's actually a very nice person and, and I think a sincere person. And unfortunately, he's been in the center of a media storm. But quite frankly, I think he really spent his entire career looking after the public health of Absolutely. of uh, U.S. citizens, and I hate it when he's uh, he's villainized. It's it's unnecessary because he has no evil intentions. But you know, having said that, maybe he could have done a better job of articulating uncertainty at times, and perhaps done a better job of explaining the pros and cons of masks in particular in some of the other controversial issues with regard to COVID-19. I looked up more on Fauci, and um, uh, what I saw that during COVID, 
There's 16 national and international medical societies and research societies named him their man of the year. In America, he's vilified. Uh, Italy and Israel named him their man of the year Interesting. for his work on COVID in their country. Mm-hmm. And here he's, uh, he's a villain. Um, I think it's grossly unfair. Yeah, yeah. Well, in any event, um, so we'll go to more less uh, controversial. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I am a fan actually of, of Tony Fauci, and uh, he he actually did some of his training at Cornell, where I did my training. In fact, um, I was a, a chief resident at Cornell and had the same job that he did twenty years after him. So, um, I, I have that connection with him. But having said that, um, I do think he probably could have done a better job in certain circumstances of explaining the pros and cons. And he was in a tough situation because. You know, he spanned different presidents and different political agendas and, and, um, you know, different, uh, media cycles. And it, it, it's a very challenging job to do all that. But let, let's dig in a little bit more. So even to this day, we don't know if we should be wearing masks or, uh, what the pros and cons are. And, um, I want to dig into that a little bit with you, John. And I'm going to start with a, with an anecdote of my own. So sort of during the teeth of the crisis, it was probably maybe uh, June or July of, of 2020, the the gyms had just gotten permission to reopen, as you recall. It was probably a little bit later, probably in the, actually now that I'm thinking about it, it was actually September 2020. So let me be precise. It was September 2020. The, the, the gyms had recently been given permission to reopen, but there was social distancing. And I went to the gym that I usually go to that was closed literally for three or four months. And I was doing my uh, work on the bicycle, the stationary bicycle. And I was, um, you know, probably 20 feet away from everybody else. But I was told gently by one of the the folks who was a monitor at the gym that this was a mask mandatory session. And I had typically gone to sessions that didn't require masks, even though we were socially distant. So I said, oh, okay, I didn't know that. So I go to my car. I I actually, you know, obviously I work in a hospital and I had a bunch of different masks. So I brought my paper mask and I brought my N95 mask. And I was, you know, interested to see how it would affect my ability to, to use the bike. So I get there. And I put the paper mask on and I'm doing my exercise and, um, you know, I'm saying, okay, that's not too bad. I said, let me, um, let me take that off and put the N95 mask on and see how I do with that. So I'm taking the mask off and, um, as I'm fiddling with it, uh, the monitor comes by and says, uh, you know, uh, please, uh, you need to wear your mask at all times during this mask mandatory session. And I said, okay, yeah, I have no problem with that. I'm just doing a little experiment here. So I, p- I put the infant 95 mask on. And I have to say it was more difficult to exercise with the N95 mask that has the smaller pores than it was with the paper mask and probably easier to exercise without a mask at all for, for a number of reasons. Anyhow, so I'm doing this back and forth. And, um, you know, it so happens that I was also very, very involved in the COVID-19 vaccine studies at that exact time. So I was starting to explain to people that you know these are different masks and the the paper mask has bigger pores it's really designed to protect people against bacteria and I know you have some interesting historical insights about that whereas an N95 mask has much smaller pore size and maybe works better for viruses and I was just kind of trying to understand that from a personal standpoint so so it was really interesting um you know a woman came by about 5 minutes later and she says uh she says to me well, I'm glad you put brought up a fuss about mask. Mask, she says, all this is going to go away after the election is over. That's what she came to me and said. And I, you know, I said to her, well, no, it's you know, this is a serious question. We we don't know all the answers, but you know, masks have some efficacy. Um, 
quite frankly, we're 20 feet away from each other, so I'm not that worried. But, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll wear the mask for now. But, you know, I sort of calmed her down and also identified myself as a scientist that's working in this area. And then uh, literally five minutes later, somebody came over to me and he looks at me with derision and he says, the problem with this world, and this epidemic is because of people like you that won't wear their masks. <laughs> and I said, I said, do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, I said, this is what I do for a living. And I started giving him a lecture about masks and pointing these things out. And he, he, he turns away and he says, it's best that you and I just don't talk. <laughs> and he goes off. So it just like sort of highlighted the fact that people had their set opinions about masks and really didn't care that much about the data. And, you know, we're all about the data. So anyhow, let's get into the data. So give us a little bit of a historical perspective, first of all, about the fact that masks in general are a very effective means of preventing the spread of infectious disease. So go ahead and tell us about I, that. I read a, a book about pandemics written before the current pandemic. And um, uh, the history goes back to in about the 1870s, a German surgeon started wearing a mask for all his surgeries and his infection rate uh, went down considerably uh, and that was starting to spread, which back then spread very, very slowly around the world. Something like 15 years later, the Mayo brothers in Rochester, Minnesota saw that information and they did that, and then they tried to take it up a step, and they made everybody in the operating room wear a mask. So the Mayo Brothers first started by doing their surgeries wearing a mask, which wasn't routine at that time, noticed a dip in their infection levels, and then sort of spread the word in the U.S. Yeah, and they, they had the lowest reported infection rates in the nation. People started coming from around the world to have surgery before the age of antibiotics, and uh, they had the reputation that people didn't die after having uh, general surgery. Yeah, and this was probably, you know, the late 1800s during the time that Louis Pasteur was helping people understand about germ theory. And, um, you know, probably at the same time, hand washing became a bigger deal and, and other measures to reduce infection rates. Just, you know, to be fair, there may have been other factors involved, but certainly masking and, and spreading bacteria through your respiratory cycle was one of them. And the the, the author of this book, the, the only pandemic that compares is actually worse than our current one was the uh, pandemic of 1917 uh, in San and San Francisco was interesting. In the author, uh, his statistics is San Francisco did the best of any city in the United States, mm -hmm. partly because it started mostly in Philadelphia, traveled slowly, no planes back then across the country. And interestingly to me was that he felt it was the earthquake in San Francisco ten years before that set the stage. He said. The infrastructure was destroyed, water, sewer, everything, everything for public health had been destroyed. And the public health officials and the politicians created a plan and the citizens followed that plan to recover. So when the pandemic came, you had the, the trifecta, the public officials worked with the public health people, the politicians, and the and the citizens believed them, and the three of them worked together, and they had the best statistics of any city in the nation for the 1917 pandemic. Yeah, it's including a lot, wearing masks. Yeah, a lot of interesting things about that, and just for the audience's sake, you're talking about the Spanish flu epidemic, right. and that lasted for about a year and a half between probably 1917 and 1919, and um, yeah, they call it the Spanish flu, but it probably started in the U.S. In Kansas, <laughs> yeah, in Kansas. exactly. Although there's still a little bit of debate about that, but um, uh, it became more known and widespread due to World War One, where literally you know thousands of soldiers were getting sick from the flu. 
And a particular characteristic of that virus is that it affected young people much more than older people, which is really interesting. So probably older people had some immunity from a previous viral uh, infection and that the younger people didn't have that. And, you know, amongst healthy uh, troops in the U.S. Army, there was like a 5% mortality rate or 7% mortality rate. Well, they're, crazy. they're packed together in barracks. I, I, that, that's exactly true. They think that, yeah, like 30 or 50 years before there had been a pandemic that wasn't very uh, virulent, mm. but it was the same type of virus. And so old people had protection and the young did not. Yeah. And, and obviously, in the COVID crisis, it was completely opposite. Young people tended to do well, and older people could be devastated by it. So every pandemic is a little bit different, and you have Absolutely. to look at the, the, the science, the numbers, and data. And to your initial point, you have to make adjustments as you learn more. So we're going to end this particular session with that, but I want to bring it back in our next session and then talk about more of the details. And different ways of understanding masks and mask mandates in terms of actual data. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.